0: the new hampshire journal podcast i'm your host michael graham thanks so much for tuning in thank you for subscribing to the nh journal newsletter if you have not done that just go to nhjournal.com. it's right there just click boom the newsletter is free or you can be one of our wonderful readers who believes in capitalism paying for what you get and subscribing 4 um, for 4.99 a month uh, so easy to do at nhjournal.com. So thanks so much for that. And also thanks to Dr. Bruce Houghton at perfectsmiles.com uh, for sponsoring this podcast. More about him coming up in a moment. So here's the deal. We have Morgan Ortegas with Polaris National Security. Her mission is to help candidates, particularly Republican candidates, whether they're running for Congress or president or anything in between. You have a view of foreign policy and an informed view. She's a foreign policy expert. She was a spokesperson for the State Department. You probably know her from Fox News. And so she's going to come up and she's got an event on Wednesday with Nikki Haley, where they're going to do a basically kind of a one-on-one round table about foreign policy. So if you care about foreign policy, interested in Nikki Haley, place to be and all the details are here. And they're also linked in the show notes. Uh, And of course they're on the calendar that NH journal does. If you haven't found that yet, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's events right on the NH journal page. It's in every newsletter. You click on it, any event that is a presidential event that we can find out about. We put in the calendar. If you know about one, we should know about news at insidesources.com is our best email news at insidesources.com. Okay, so that event's coming up. So we're going to talk to Morgan We're going to take us a little bit about the latest that we know from Russia and how foreign policy affects elections. Then after that, I'm just going to have a few comments because as we record this on Monday evening, uh, you know, big news with uh, DeSantis versus Trump. Tuesday, in all of the hullabaloo and kerfuffle over the lilac luncheon and where the campaigns are, Uh, got a great story. I I think it's great at nhjournal.com about this very uh, topic. But I'll give you some thoughts uh, after our conversation with Morgan Ortegas here on the NH Journal podcast. So, with political candidates crawling all over the granite state, how do they make a difference? How do they differentiate themselves from others? Well, Nikki Haley's going to sit down for a one on one, tete a tete, no hold barreds cage match on foreign policy with Morgan Ortegas of Polaris National Security. Morgan, did I describe that correctly? Uh, the cage match was an interesting <laughs> way, but just, we're going to, yes. There will sure, be no, cha- I mean, so, be no talking- chairs flying. No chairs. No.
1: I, I'll think I'll have one high heels, so it'll be a little hard for that. So yeah, I think we'll we'll keep our
0: decorum together. No, no, we're looking forward to the <laughs> uh to the big event because the, the your mission is to make sure that people who want to have positions of leadership are aware of the foreign policy uh issues at hand. And we're gonna talk about what Polaris does and about your background and the uh great American tour. That's uh, coming to ports, uh, excuse me, America, the great tour that's coming to Portsmouth on Wednesday. That's all coming up. But first, I can't have you on the New Hampshire Journal podcast, but asking about the current events of the day, starting with uh, what the heck just happened in Russia and the Wagner group.
1: Uh, Well, we I think most people in my space who work on foreign policy and national security spend a lot of the weekend scratching our head, Uh, you know, first of all, on, on Friday night. I had hosted, I, I had anchored a show on News Nation, and then I had done a Fox hit. So it was a really busy Friday night for me. And I was looking forward to a glass of wine and some rest uh, <laughs> when I looked at my phone and thought, you know, I really don't have time for a coup. Uh, this <laughs> is not what I had planned for Friday night. So I ended up staying up very, very late trying to, you know, track these things and, right. and find out, you know, what I could from sources on the ground. And then, of course, on Saturday, it turned even more bizarre when um, the Wagner group was, you know, 150 miles maybe from Moscow. And and then all of a sudden they abruptly did the deal with Lukashenko. By the way, I was with Mike Pompeo in February 2020 when we were in Belarus and went to meet with Lukashenko. And he's a pretty wild guy. I mean, as dictators come. (laughs) And um, so it was surprising to me that he could broker anything. So that was was impressive in the first place. So the truth is, is like there's – there's a lot of us that are guessing, that are surmising, trying to figure out what you know what all all of this means. Uh, you know, was part of it staged? How much did Putin know? It, it's hard for me to believe that Putin would stage something that would make him look so weak internally. And, mm-hmm. you know, whenever the Wagner forces uh, went on Rostov and Don and took over that headquarters, that would be like Blackwater going and taking over Southcom and everyone just sort of saying, oh, okay, right. Blackwater's here to take it over. <laughs> I mean, it, it was. It was a pretty bizarre, pretty you know, pretty wild moment. So, I am one that is always you know careful to say this is what it exactly means. We don't fully know, but what we um what what we do know is that for the first time in thirty years, there has been a serious challenge to Putin, and this is something that you know oligarchs, rich and powerful men, have tried and failed. Uh, to challenge Putin. No one has gone for, uh, for uh, an insurrection or rebellion or coup attempt or whatever in the world we end up calling it. Um, but, uh, but I think it, it certainly gives the um, U- Ukrainians sort of the emotional momentum that they need during this time of, of, of launching an incredibly difficult counteroffensive.
0: I just remember the Wagner Group opening for Frankie Goes to Hollywood, you know, and uh, covering Rock Me Days by Falco. <laughs> that's that's my knowledge of the Wagner Group. But I think that raises the point, which uh, the bigger point, which is in the current political climate. You're in New Hampshire, uh, hosting this conversation with yes. former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, and the focus can be foreign policy. And there's a uh, school of thought that says Americans. Just don't care about foreign policy until there's some very direct pragmatic impact. So my, you know, the price of my gasoline goes up, I care. Something blows up that involves right. an American person, I care. After that, you know, Lukashenko, Muka, it's all the Shenkos. They just don't matter. So, is the, Do you agree with that? From a once again, from a not from a what's right or wrong in the world, from a political strategy standpoint, and the mm-hmm. candidates who are on the road.
1: I mean, listen. We're going to be talking foreign policy and national security writ large. We're going to be talking about the most pressing national security issue of our time, which is, of course, our, our poorest and undefended southern border, which is which is a major problem. But all of these things, and and I think you're bringing up a really great point. One of the things that we're going to be discussing in this America the Great tour, which we started in the 22 cycle, we've now continued in the 24 cycle. We'll have hopefully we'll be back in New Hampshire. I don't have any announcements to make yet on your show, but I do hope that we'll be able to interview other presidential candidates. But the point is to take these complex issues and to talk about how and why it matters. Let's take the fentanyl issue, for example. We know that the fentanyl coming over our border, being trafficked by these cartels and killing Americans, we know that the chemical precursors come from China. So when you have an administration that prioritizes climate change concessions from China while they build more coal plants than ever last year. Right. So when you have an administration that does prioritize these climate change concessions from China, there are real world trade-offs. And, and Blinken did finally bring up these chemical precursors to fentanyl in his meeting uh, with the Chinese when he was there last week. But, you know, unfortunately I think that they sort of blew him off and said that they would start a working group on it. You don't need a working group. Just stop doing it. Let me tell you, I would hate to be on the other end of the, Mike Pompeo, my former boss, former Secretary of State, uh, if 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 it was as bad if the the shipments of the right. chemical precursors were as bad in our administration as they are today, you know we don't need a subcommittee. Just stop freaking sending this stuff to our shores to kill our people.
0: Uh, when you see uh, candidates like uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. gaining purchase among Democrats with his very overtly leave Ukraine to the Russians, let's get out, you know, uh, the power pacifism argument, when you Mm -hmm. see uh, Republicans arguing adamantly, either get out or, you know, let's start edging out. What does that tell you about? Well, we're not
1: yeah, I, I think the, the, the problem even with just saying that is we're not in. We don't have troops on the ground. And that's been one of the things that I think is fundamentally important as is this is, you know, this is a war on Europe's soil. And we have pressed them and pressed them and pressed them that this cannot be only an American led effort, that they are going to have to get in the game and provide for their own defense and their, on their own resources. Nobody has been more critical of the Germans and the French on this point, you know, than me. I, I have really blasted them. Um, But I will say, you know, I think that pressure is starting to work and you have seen them step up.
0: I I agree. But my point is that once again, there there are there's now a rising sentiment on two threads of the of the political rug that we're knitting together here that is America that are pretty strongly we should just not get involved and whether it's anti interventionism or whether it's fundamental pacifism one of the arguments that i that uh that i hear uh frequently made from people who oppose involvement is that you cannot be involved in a war whatever that means you're sending troops i mean not send troops i mean Mm -hmm. sending money or whatever or you know or preventing peace you know we could we could basically force a peace if we withheld our support we could you know force these people into a peace and because we are uh you know on the side of war it mars our national character and it affects all of our other politics and i'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that
1: yeah i would say the, the the entity that is on the side of the war is the invaders and that is putin and his army there was absolutely no need for them to invade they were warned by the world you know not to do so and and so there's there's no one ultimately this was a massive massive failure of deterrence by the Uh, Biden administration, which I think has a ton of repercussions and lessons for China, and something that is very much my focus is how do we not fail at deterring Xi Jinping the way that we failed at at deterring Putin? So so first of all, I would say, you know, we had a massive deterrence failure. The only people cheering on war are the invaders and the Russians, and they've done so at enormous, you know, damage reputationally to themselves. You know, before whatever this was that happened this weekend, this rebellion, you know, before all of this, um, they, uh, uh, you know, they had, they were supposed to take, um, keys in days, like within three days. And here we are a year and a half later, they don't have keys. So this this is, and by the way, this is why you have seen the Chinese, why they have sort of had a, a a very different, um, stance public. Um, uh, than we are used to, you know, because we're used to Xi Jinping saying that he has a no-limits partnership uh, with um, Putin, that Russia and China were going to change the world. Xi Jinping has said things like, there's going to be a change in the world order that the world hasn't seen in 100 years. Uh, We said all of this stuff, right? The Chinese, excuse me, said all of this stuff. Guess who was really quiet on Friday and Saturday? You saw Erdogan, the leader of Turkey, come out and be defensive of Putin. You saw other leaders... Come out and be uh, defensive of of Putin. You saw Xi Jinping, his supposed, you know, Putin's (laughs) supposed bestie. He was awfully quiet. I didn't hear from him.
0: No, that's a very good point. And of course, there's, you know, nothing like victory to create a thousand fathers and mothers and people who want to jump on board. And so if it looks like Ukraine victory is likely, I think you'll see some politics swing. I want to wrap up with one last question, which is, at a time where the conversation in American politics appears to be driven by issues here at home, whether it's inflation or concerns mm-hmm. about what's happening in our kids' classrooms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, c- concerns about uh, you know th- our basic cultural norms, can a you know woman even you know walk into a restroom or a, or, or a, uh, a workout room without having to be concerned about mm-hmm. who or what's going to be waiting for them? How do you get voters to factor in? foreign policy, which one could argue is one of the primary jobs of the federal government. These other things are more related to state governments or local governments, and yet they seem to be dominating a conversation. How does the Polaris America, the Great Tour punch, punch through and get people to think that way?
1: Yeah, I think that we have to, first of all, our our domestic issues very much matter. And, you know, there used to be this, you you asked such a great question, because there used to be this school of thought that people like me who are in foreign policy, defense, national security issues, uh, that we were very sort of divorced from what was going on in the culture wars or the domestic issues, you know, we were the like foreign policy nerds off in the corner. And all of a sudden, what did, what did we see happening uh, about one year into the Biden administration? Uh, You start to see these, this, this woke culture uh, seeping into all of our institutions. Right. And, and now you see Record low retention and recruitment problems in the U.S. military, uh, something that we haven't seen, you know, since the Vietnam era. I mean, and I, and the numbers at one point were pretty bad, in the Clinton administration, too. But this is that, you know, you're talking you're talking about, death, you know, rec, record low in the modern era era uh retention and recruitment uh levels. And so why are you saying that? I mean there's a myriad of reasons. There's a heritage study that I was a part of to attack this. But I think fundamentally, when you tell young people that this is that this country is fundamentally a white supremacist and racist nation that is not worth, you know, why would you why would that kind of country that's just a racist country be worth fighting and dying for? Why would you want to sign up, you know, and, and defend this? And that's I think one of the major problems with uh, with this, you know, sort of these culture wars and this woke stuff that's uh, permeating all of our institutions. You know, you think Bud Light has a problem. Well, look at what the Biden administration is doing and their, uh, rec- you know, recruitment ads for the military. I right. mean, they're just n- not. They're not attracting the the type of people that they would normally attract. And what's really concerning, and the heritage study that I was a part of, uh, you know, the military normally gets people. It's a generational thing, right? It's a very familial thing. If people's parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles are in the military, they're going to go in. And what we were seeing is parents who were retired or active duty in the military were saying, you know what, I, I don't want my kids to go in anymore, And that was, uh, and and that's really, really scary because that is our direct uh, recruitment base.
0: That is really scary, but fortunately, we have U.S. Naval Reserve Officer Morgan Ortega to defend the line, and this is why <laughs> the the Vegas money on the cage match with you and UN Ambassador Nikki Haley you're, you're 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 getting most of the money. But I'm warning everybody: I'm from a rural town not far from in South Carolina, not far from where Nikki Haley's from. My money's on Nikki, South Carolina. We better watch out for the South Carolina people. Nikki. Really. We fight tough. We fight mean, and we fight tough. Remember the Gamecocks. So, you know. Well, she's be been fired. a governor
1: and an ambassador. Yes, so, I'm, yeah, I
0: have some catching up to do. You better, you better watch out. It's going to be a tough, tough match. We're going to watch all of it uh, And out in uh, beautiful Portsmouth, which is a great place to be. It's on June 28th. Doors open at 1.30. The event begins at 2.30 at the waterfront at the Elks. And all the information is on the NH Journal calendar, where we update all of the uh First in the Nation campaign events, uh, nhjournal.com. Morgan Ortegas, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Morgan Ortegas, and thanks to Dr. Bruce Houghton at Perfect Smiles of Nashua, online at perfectsmiles.com. He's my dentist. He's taken care of me for years. He takes care of my lovely bride, Buttercup. In fact, Buttercup has a cavity that was not properly tweeted by... tweet Tweeted? Tweeted? That, that Elon Musk can do anything. He tweeted a cavity that was not properly treated by a previous dentist and now Dr. Bruce is gonna come in and fix things up and that's one of the things I wanna say is if you've had treatment you're just not happy with, Dr. Bruce is a committed professional and so refreshing to work with someone who actually acts like his job, you know, is important. He's supposed to be better at it than you are. Sometimes in the world of service that we get right now, that's very rare. Plus, he has the very latest training, he trains other dental professionals, and he just really cares, and it shows so much when he takes care of you. So, if you're not happy with who you have now, maybe you've moved to the New Hampshire area recently. Hey, maybe you're a candidate you're on the campaign trail. You're having a dental emergency. I have no idea if Dr. Bruce wants me to send these patients, but you should, got it trust me. You want someone to take care of you? You want Dr. Bruce. He's so easy to find. He's right on the Everett Turnpike, And he's right on the super interweb highway at PerfectSmiles.com. So a couple of quick comments, because we're going to have another podcast in just a couple of days. One of the presidential candidates is going to join us. And so we can kind of recap what happened on Tuesday. And of course, we'll be writing about it at nhjournal.com. Uh, but, uh, you know, the lead up to DeSantis trumping on the ground together, which, by the way, I don't even think anyone would have noticed if not for the kerfuffle surrounding the New Hampshire Federation of Republican Women. Now, no one is a bigger fan of the federation than nh journal we've had a close working relationship with them we've covered their events they are thoughtful smart earnest people uh and for people who think that when they have a sit down with the candidates whether it's uh, tim scott or nikki haley or asa hutchinson they can get a bunch of quote women's questions what i don't even know what that would mean now but whatever you know cookie recipes i don't know what the the questions are great lots of Domestic foreign policy across the board is just smart, engaged Republicans who also happen to be women and they're a great group. I think they were ill served by the Trump campaign and in and, and, and that that's how this kerfuffle all started. Nobody thinks that there's anything unusual about having multiple campaign events on the same day or even at the same time. You know, that's one of the things that watching the mess that's going on with Democrats trying to hold on to the first in the nation primary and not. Succeeding is, I guarantee you, Party Chairman Chris Ager and the Republican National Committee folks, they want as many Republican candidates in the state as possible. They would love it if there were traffic jams of campaign buses so they couldn't find enough parking for all of them because the more candidates who come more often to New Hampshire, the more of a sign it is of just how important the first in the nation primary is, and it makes it that much easier for New Hampshire to keep it. So Multiple campaign events on the same day, same time, you know, shoving each other off the stage. That's all good for the New Hampshire GOP. And that's why this whole, you know, I i read an article in Politico that I was, well, what are you talking about? You're Making it sound like someone was caught using Queen Elizabeth's tub or something. That's just not how this works in New Hampshire. And so, but what that did do, and this is smart play by Team Trump, Team Trump, is really mastering the air war. They are keeping the airwaves, the national media conversation full of Trump, Trump, Trump. And that makes it harder for any other name to appear. And So you just absorb all the oxygen and that's your strategy. And as reluctant as people are to admit it, and certainly this is not something New Hampshire Journal (laughs) is thrilled about, more and more of the local political conversation is dominated by the national political conversation. And so, you know, look, we cover what we can and everything, but there's no doubt about it. When people turn on their TVs and whether it's Fox, CNN, whatever, they're all talking about the same stuff on the political shows, it's going to have an impact on the conversation about politics right here in the Grand State. So that's just the way it is. The question is, does headlines and uh, early poll numbers and, and, you know, dominating the airwaves, does that win primaries in the end. And the DeSantis people point to, uh, you know, that this, during this week in 2015, Jeb Bush was leading in New Hampshire and Trump was at just 10%. They point out that back in 2007, that Romney was ahead in New Hampshire and McCain was just a 17%. I don't know if I find that answer satisfying. I mean, those tend to be the kinds of things people point out when they're not winning. And right now, no doubt about it. The person who's winning is Donald Trump and not Ron DeSantis or any of the other candidates. Um, but at the same time, there is a big difference between having attention and having voters and supporters. And I just, my eye keeps coming back to polls. And there, there was another one, it was part of the NBC News package over the weekend. There was a Democratic poll a few weeks ago that showed the same thing that when you put voters in a general election context, Biden versus Trump or DeSantis, that DeSantis tends to outperform Trump and it tends to be by a noticeable margin. And part of it is because of the very easy to understand argument that there are a lot of people who have just baked in their ideas about Trump and they're just not going to move. And if Trump is the nominee in 2024, it'll be the same election as 2020, which is it'll be all about Trump. In 2016, the campaign was partially about Trump, but it was partially about Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton, one of the worst candidates ever. And uh, and Trump won an electoral college victory, and a general uh, a uh, popular vote loss against the maybe the worst campaign candidate ever, definitely the worst major party nominee of my lifetime. And so, you're gonna have 2024. If he's the nominee, he's going to be the subject of the referendum. The question is, if the New Hampshire primary is simply going to be a referendum on Trump, yes or no? And you've got one yes and at this point eleven no's, you know, eleven people opposing him. That's pretty good for Trump. Is Ron DeSantis supposed to break that dynamic, somehow turn this into a two person race, you know, get people to rethink their thoughts on Trump, you know, close that thirty point gap on Tuesday. <laughs> With you know a single town hall in Hollis and a couple of events, I don't know that that's realistic. But can he and does he need to do something to start breaking that up? Just to, you know, to to change the current lay of the land, which is that the rally around the flag effect continues to give President Trump a bigger and bigger lead every day, and DeSantis needs to do something about it. When you talk to the people who are in the work of campaigning, that is, they're overseeing the door knocking and blah, blah, blah. They sound a lot more positive than the people who are doing what most of us do, which is, you know, reading news articles, (laughs) going on social media and going, oh my gosh, the polls are huge for Trump. This thing's all over. And the answer is, I don't know. You know, I have uh, political insiders, fellow junkies, whatever, who tell me there's absolutely no way Trump can be the nominee. They just don't believe it. They also don't believe that Joe Biden can be the nominee. I mean, just look at the guy. He's so old. He's out of it. What was he mumbling? What was the latest thing? I sold state secrets or something. And and look, the part of me that views politics as some kind of uh, like a chess match or at least a game of checkers says you got to be right. This can't be. It can't be Trump. Biden, But then I remember, this is politics. It's not a game on a board. There are no rules. It is basically just a scrum. And the only rule is to get elected. And the only other rule is to get reelected. And about 120 years ago, there were two Democratic operatives sitting in a bar in Washington, D.C. And one of them looks at the other and goes... Are we really going to nominate William Jennings Bryan for a third time? We know he can't win. He has no chance of winning. And the other guy looks at him and says, Pal, let me buy another drink. It's Bryan. And you know what? It was. And he couldn't win. And he lost. And he got nominated by the voters of his, the Democratic Party. It's not computer science. It's not AI. It's politics. And there is no more fun place to watch it than right here in New Hampshire. And there's no more fun place to do it for me than nhjournal.com. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I am Michael Graham. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hampshire Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening.